Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. This podcast, Product Love, is hosted at productcraft.com, which is also a cool place to find great product management content and discussion. And now Product Craft is producing a conference. And as you might expect, I attend a lot of product conferences. Many of them are very good, but after a while they start to feel like Groundhog Day. You know, same speakers, same venues, same ideas. Product Craft, the conference, is a different kind of event just for product people takes place on May 9th at the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, which is a gorgeous venue, and features headliners like Guy Raz from How I Built This and G2 Patel from Box. This conference really is a passion project, and if you want to join me in an inspiring space full of product people, come to San Francisco on May 9th. You can get tickets at productcraft.com. This week on Product Love, I talked to Jackie Bavaro, head of product management at Asana and the co-author of the book, Cracking the PM Interview. So Asana is a mission-driven company that helps teams organize, track, and manage their work. With Jackie, we talked about the concept of product sense. Jackie believes that this is an essential skill that all product managers should have. But, you know, what is it? And I look at it as it's a product manager's spidey sense. It's their intuition that leads them to make the right decisions and call out what feels wrong. So this got me to thinking, how can product managers develop their product sense? There's really no formal answer, nor is it really written anywhere in a textbook that I've read. Jackie believes it all starts with focusing on customers and constantly evaluating the choices you make on your product. I think product managers should spend time exploring products and incorporating specific features they like into their own product. And while you're at it, avoid the pitfalls that have tripped up others. Well, enough for me. Let's kick this off. Afterwards, tweet at me at eBoduk or shoot me a note at eBoduk at pendo.io and tell me what you think. Welcome, lovers of product. I am here today with Jackie Bavaro from Asana. Jackie, why don't we kick this off by you giving us a little overview of your background? Nice. So uh, thanks for having me. And just a little bit of my background is I started product management right out of college and I studied computer science and economics at Cornell for undergrad, and then went straight into being a PM at Microsoft. I got to be there for three years and moved over to the Google APM program, where I got to work on Google search, which was a lot of fun. Got to work on like a really broad consumer product, and then moved over to Asana, where I've been for the past seven years. And at Asana, I started as the first product manager and grew to lead the PM team. And in the middle of that, I had a great experience where I started a blog that grew into a book, and so I got to co-author Cracking the PM Interview. That's awesome. Talk to me a little bit about the writing process. So I started writing because when I was at Google, I started having friends of friends say, hey, I'm going to be applying to the Google PM job. Can you tell me a little bit about it before I start getting there? And so I would meet with these friends of friends and give them a little bit of advice and like help coach them. And I started to realize that this is how a lot of people are getting their APM jobs. A lot of people are getting this one-on-one coaching because they have a friend of a friend who, was, who worked at Google. And that that is a very biased way to figure out who gets to know what are the tips and tricks to get these jobs. And so I wanted to say that if there's anything 
something I'm willing to tell a friend of the friend, I should also be willing to put that out on the internet, willing to make that public. So I just started with taking these conversations that I was having and distilling the, the key points and putting them up on a blog. So that's kind of how it all got started. Oh, that's awesome. We'll, yeah. we'll get back to the book and hiring in general in a minute, but let's talk a little bit more about Asana. Really interesting company, seems to have a huge focus on culture, at least that's my understanding, mm-hmm. employing culture in particular. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so Asana is a very mission-driven company. Our mission is help humanity thrive by enabling all teams to work together effortlessly. And so our culture is really just one of the ways that we think is best to achieve that mission. And so at Asana, the way that I would describe our culture is that we're very mindful and reflective. And so that means that we're always willing to iterate on our culture and we treat our culture like a product. And so some of the ways that that manifests is at the end of sprints, we'll do retrospectives. And across the company, if something goes very badly, so for example, if there's a site outage, but also if somebody leaves the company who we didn't want them to leave, or if there's a big blow up on the marketing you know, side of things, we'll do this five whys process where you keep asking why to get deeper and deeper in, and then we'll figure out what are some appropriate next steps to do to take it to make it less likely to happen in the future. So talk to me a little bit about that iteration process. Can mm-hmm. you give an example of that? Yeah, so I think one of the, the things that stands out the most to me in terms of like how our culture is iterated has been how we treat due dates and deadlines. Is When I joined the company, we had a, a very eng-heavy culture where deadlines were sort of taboo. The, in fact, it came across in our product because we had a due date field that we had added because customers asked for it, but it didn't do anything. You couldn't get notified when a due date was coming up. You couldn't even sort by due date. So at, at the company, we sort of had this idea that due dates were bad and people who manage by due dates were uh, just trying to like force engineers to deliver stuff on unrealistic deadlines. But as we grew, we started to see the benefits of due dates and deadlines. We started to see that when you you make a plan and you set some dates and you make some estimates, if you miss those, that's a sign that you can do that reflection and learn how can I do better, how can I move faster in the future. And so we started to get a little bit more into due dates and deadlines. And I would say that originally we overcorrected, so we had... um, a time when every week we would all get up around a shared company calendar and everybody would talk about their milestones in front of the whole company and talk about any milestones missed in front of the entire company. And so that started to veer a little bit too much towards a heavy emphasis on deadlines. I can see that. And then we, we've sort of uh, brought it back into like a really nice healthy middle where we do a lot of road mapping and we set quarterly goals and we'll pay attention to these dates and we will do the analysis, but we make sure that the motivation comes more from inside the team rather than externally. Hmm, that's that's cool. So you talked a lot about having a mission-driven company, or you mm-hmm. just mentioned having a mission-driven company, and that's something I want to touch on in this question, right? Because there's got to be implications to having a, a product team, or to your product team, actually, of having a very product-focused founders mm-hmm. with a mission-driven company to boot, right? Yeah. What, are, what are those implications? Yeah, so I think it's really wonderful to work at a mission-driven company. The main reason is that it feels like every single person at the company is on the same team. And, you know, I've worked at, like I've said, Microsoft and Google before, both really large companies and both kind of known for not always having the best intra-team relationships. Whereas at Asana, we have a lot of cohesion across teams and not just across different product teams, but with the sales organization, with customer support. Because if there's ever a disagreement, we can always kind of take it up a level if we have to get all the way to like, okay, we're both here to work on the same mission, right? Let's figure out why we disagree, what's going to happen. And so one of the things that it lets you do is it makes it really easy to take off your team hat and put on your Asana hat. Hmm, interesting. So what about the product side of that? Like as a product team... 
your founder's very product focused, right? Mm-hmm. How has that affected your product team too? Yeah, it's wonderful. So yeah, Sana has a very strong mission and a very strong vision. And so a mission is sort of like what goal we want to achieve and a vision is an idea of like, what will it look like when we achieve this? And that's really important because it gives us a North Star to aim for and it helps us understand what could success look like and how far away is it? How big are the steps we need to take to get to that future world? One of the, the biggest problems I see with product teams is is incrementalism, is when teams get really excited about polishing and iterating on the most recent thing they built and making it a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better, but not taking it these giant leaps that will actually have an impact on people's lives. Hmm. I mean, I I think there's got to be a balance there, right? Because if if people are still getting positive outcomes, you can see like better performance, better scalability, better this, and, you know, they're still making results, but at the same time, those are resources that maybe could be applied to something that was earth shattering, Mm -hmm. so to speak, right? Yes, and I think it's good to think about it as a balance of how much time do you want to spend polishing the work that you currently have and how much time do you want to spend investing in new big bets. Awesome. So let's talk about what we started, uh, what you mentioned earlier, which is cracking the PM interview, Mm -hmm. right? What have you learned since you wrote the book? What feedback have you gotten since then? Yeah, so um, I wrote the book four or five years ago, and one of the most surprising things to me has been that it's gotten more popular over time. Product management as a field is really heating up. There's a lot more people who are interested in product management and a lot of people who are either getting into it from new grad or from transferring into the field. But I would say that one of the things that's kind of surprising is how much the interview practices actually haven't changed massively. A lot of, you know, the advice that is in that book, people have said, is still entirely applicable today. And so I think that there's a lot of, I guess maybe the most surprising thing is that people who interview PMs for jobs, so people who are already PMs and are interviewing people to join their team, have used the book to sort of get a guidance for like, oh, I never knew how to think about like what skills I should be looking for. Hmm. And so they've been able to use it to to help improve their recruiting process. So what are, one thing we... We talk about a lot as homework assignments uh-huh. for PM interviews. What do you think about that? I think it's, I'm pro homework assignment, but I think it's a really delicate balance. I think that as a company, when you're interviewing people, you have to be careful about how much free labor you're asking for. And especially for people who might not have that much time or people who are more senior in their career, they might be less willing to, to do a homework assignment. So, Would so you ever I, pay them for the time? The way that we have done it, at our company is we use it early in the process. And so we will, for more senior people, sometimes skip that step. When we were interviewing yeah, for, for much more senior roles, we'll sometimes do that as a phone interview instead. But the real, one of the real benefits of having that homework assignment is that it is a much more scalable way to interview candidates. It gives you really strong signal. We'd say that the signal we got from the homework assignment is much stronger than the phone interview signal we've gotten. And because it's so scalable, because we, can, we have a rubric and we can grade them really quickly, it lets us open the top of the funnel more broadly and lets us interview candidates with less traditional backgrounds that otherwise might have gotten filtered out at the resume screening stage. So I think that the homework assignment can be a tool that you can use to increase diversity in your pipeline. Oh, I, like, I like that a lot because I think people coming from a lot of diverse backgrounds can add a lot to product teams. And by getting the homework assignment early, you're not... I guess you're avoiding some of that unconscious bias that might come out of the phone interview based upon their experience. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah. We uh, try to look at the homework assignments in an anonymous way. Sometimes people put their names on it, so you can't always keep it totally anonymous. But we try to get it in an anonymous way and have a set rubric. So it's obviously a little bit hard to, you know, with a a homework assignment for a PM with 
PM information, there's not like one right answer, but we try to make it as fair as possible to be able to recognize talent from all kinds of people. Okay, let's twist that around. Now, what advice would you give to product managers who are interviewing? Like, how should they assess what product management was like at the company they're interviewing mm -hmm. and if it's going to be a fit for them? Mm -hmm. So, I think that one of the most important things when you're joining a new job is just the team. So, really getting to know the different people. Do they seem like people you can learn a lot from? Do their processes seem like they are at the level you want? One of the things I sort of notice is there, there's a, a tipping point in people's careers when you go from wanting the career where you'll get as much mentorship as possible to wanting the career where you get to mentor other people and you get to have a little bit more autonomy. And so double checking to see if the, if the job you're going for has the right match for you in terms of the being the mentor versus getting mentored relationship. And then I would check in on the relationship of product to the rest of the organization. One of the things I love about Asana is we have a really healthy product organization where engineers like their PMs. They're excited when they get a PM on their team. And I know a lot of companies aren't like that. They're ones where there's tension between PMs and other teams or tensions between senior leadership at the company. And those things can make it really hard to be effective as a PM. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. We did a study with Product Collective, the people who put on industry, and one of the things we looked at was amount of influence and connection between PMs and other departments, and, mm -hmm. and engineering as a whole, the connection, the influence is really low. Mm -hmm. Would you have expected that? That the PMs had very low influence? Yeah, and very low connection, like they, there's like a wall in some ways, right? Oh, that's very surprising, yeah, I yeah. think... As a PM, one of the best things you can do is form those connections across a company, especially at a big company. It's one of the reasons I think that a lot of companies love their APM programs there for new grads or more junior PMs is that PMs will form relationships with other PMs that are far away in the company. And a lot of times things get done through that APM network where two senior PMs might not know anybody on the other team, but the APMs are like, oh, I've got a friend over there. I'll just ask them for some help. Yeah, I mean, to pull up, I just pulled up that information, right? So product teams reported they had poor alignment and influence with engineering teams. In fact, they had better alignment and influence with service and support, revenue marketing, design and UX, market research, customer success, brand, product. <laughs> Shocking, right? Yeah. I was thinking they just need to get together more, have mm -hmm. coffees, have a little beer more together, get that integrated. But yeah. it sounds like Asana has that, does not have that problem at all. I think that there, we don't have it as a systemic problem, but I do think it's really important. And we have some really nice onboarding flows that we send people through. And one of them is to have a new hire have coffee with and have coffee chats with all the people on their team and with several key people across the company. And in even some suggested topics there where, you know, when you're new to a team, you talk to the engineers and you say, hey, what drives you? What motivates you? What are you excited about? What have you loved about working with PMs in the past? What are you hoping for in the future? Do you have any pet peeves? I love when you're kicking off with a new team. It's such a good opportunity to get things started on the right foot. So talk to me about something you wrote, this concept of product sense, mm -hmm. you know, what it is, how to grow it. Nice. So yeah, so product sense is a thing that if you're looking to become a PM that you'll start to, or looking to grow as a PM, you'll hear a lot of people talk about and they'll say, oh, you need to have better product judgment or, you know, there's just this like spidey sense that PMs have. And it is a really important skill, but also it's something that you can build. It really is just the accumulation of all of the, of the intuition you build up after all of these experiences with launching products, getting them out there, and then seeing what the reaction is and being able to problem solve and innovate to get clever solutions to product problems. 
So first key to this is customer focus. And there's so many different ways to get to know the customer. Um, some of them are by directly talking to the customer. Some of them are by looking at data and analytics and metrics to understand how customers behave. And to also to be able to follow through on the launches you have, to be able to launch and iterate and then read that feedback and understand how the choice you made early on impacts things later on. Another thing you can do as a PM to develop that product sense is to use a lot of products. One of my, my favorite things that PMs do and one of the best kinds of innovations I see is when a PM cross applies a product pattern they've seen in like one app to another, a different domain. So people might use a metaphor or a UI paradigm that you use in a music app and start using that on a mapping app or some other kinds of cross-pollination. And those often surface really good ideas. Like it's the Uber for hairdressers. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I just made that up on the spot. Yeah. Well, there's the big set of like what the product actually is, but even on a narrow set that you might say, oh, I love the search interface that Spotify oh, is using. Got it. This is like... We're going to apply Spotify's search interface to, mm -hmm. you know, finding hairdressers. Yeah. Whatever it happens to be. Interesting. I like that. What else? I think you mentioned things like, you know, doing product teardowns and setting up goal mm -hmm. practice. Yes. Oh, yeah. So uh, product teardowns is a, so one way to get used to product is to actually just use a lot of products. The other is to do a product teardown where you can get a few people together and actually just think about, like, bit by bit look into exactly what the product is and the choices they've made and analyze what they've done that's working well and not well and, and try to understand why they might have made the choices that they did. And those can be really, we do those on a regular basis at Asana and we'll actually be able to pull it apart and see what are the clever things they've done, what do we guess about their customers based on how they do this. And it's, it's just, yeah, this sense of trying to get, how do you get in your 10,000 hours of practice as a PM? Goal practice. Oh, I read this article a little while ago. Sorry, I don't remember the full no, details that's a, that's of that okay. one. I found it really interesting because I talk a lot with young PMs, and they're like, oh, how do I get started? And they're like, how do I find the job to get started? It's like, well, you don't really need the job to get started. Mm -hmm. Pick a product and, like, figure out how you'd run it and write it up and, like, talk about what's good and bad and then run it by some of your friends that might be in PM or some of the mentors you know and get feedback from them or, you know, offer to help a startup on the side. And there's lots mm -hmm. of ways you can get involved. And yeah. what I really liked about this article, this Product mm -hmm. Sense article, is you're giving people ways that they could train themselves. So it was like mm -hmm. cross-training for product manager or yeah. cross-fit for product managers. Like, hey, let's do these goal practices. Here, what you do, you can write down all the goals you can think of of the product. You can think about who built the product and who mm -hmm. purchases and uses it and what PR material could be. And you're in essence like building, you know, you're becoming a little mini product mm -hmm. manager for that. That was really cool. I like that approach. Oh, great. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that product manager is something that you can practice and you can get better at, and it's not that people need to be born as product manager. One of the things you said actually reminded me, though, of people often ask, how do I break into product management? And the number one way to break into product management is to start doing product management inside the job that you currently are and find a way to transfer within your company. So there's, there's lots of ways that people do become product managers. Some people weren't PMs and get hired as the first PM somewhere else, but that's much more rare. Some people do go to business school, and then you can get hired straight as a, a product manager, but that's two years of your life. Many people, most of the, the most common way I find that people successfully transfer into product management is whatever their job happens to be, they just start picking up and doing some product manager type stuff. So maybe they're an eng manager, and they start planning out the roadmap and thinking about strategy, or maybe they are on the customer 
customer support team and they start writing up some specs about how the product could be better to avoid all these customer support tickets that they have to keep answering. And once they get to picking up some of this stuff on the side, those people can then eventually work with their boss to get their job title switched over to product manager, sometimes spin up a new product management org within their company or transfer into the role. Yeah, I, I agree. I hear that more often than anything else. It's like, I was in this job, I'm a dev manager, I'm even in like sales engineering, but I spend more and more time with the product team and I help them out and they have little projects that I can help with and get some mentorship and eventually there's an opening and kind of work my way over there, which I think is a great way to do it. And it shows that they have the curiosity and the passion to do it too. Mm -hmm. It's like almost self-selecting, right? Yeah, and um, one of the most important things as a product manager is credibility. And if you've already built up a good reputation at your company, you already have that credibility. And so that really eases the transition into product management. So one thing you were talking about today, and we're at the industry conference, though this will be published a little bit in the future, but you were talking about roadmaps. And you do something called Roadmap Week, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Yeah, at Asana, we do something we call Roadmap Week, and we do it once an episode, which right now is twice a year. But originally, our episodes had been different lengths of time, depending on our themes. And the company started Roadmap Week because before that, they found that they were sort of constantly doing planning, and it was in a constant state of planning that never ended and would interfere with the product work. And they realized that by separating out the planning into a fixed week when everybody would expect to have lots of meetings and not be getting too much like, you know, straight up engineering work done, we could consolidate the planning into one week, do a bunch of planning, and then execute on those plans as fast as we could in the following weeks. And so as that's grown, we've built to continue having this roadmap week, which is a nice checkpoint that lets us reflect on what's happened in the past, plan for the future. And because everybody clears their calendars for the same week, it lets us bring all of the right people together into the conversations. So what, what else about roadmaps? If you have like tips, so like roadmaps are, if you go from one product org to another, there's mm -hmm. lots of different ways people approach roadmaps. Do you have any tips or tricks? I yeah. hate to use the word tricks, but tips, advice. Yeah, definitely. So from my point of view, a roadmap is your plan for how you're going to achieve your vision. And the key purposes of a roadmap are to make sure that you're taking big enough steps in the right direction to achieve that vision. So, you know, you have this amazing vision and you look at the size of the steps you're taking now and you're like, oh, it'll take us seven years to achieve our vision. You might decide that you need to do something more drastic now. The second point of roadmaps is to create alignment across the company. And that alignment has a lot of benefits. It can motivate the people on your team. You get excited to work fast to get to the next thing. It helps people across the company plan for what's going on in the product side. So for example, we will often find that if we have product launches coming up, we definitely need a lot of marketing time to build up the marketing materials. And we might even need to start hiring ahead on sales because we might be selling to a new type of customer with this launch. So being able to coordinate across the company is really important. My number one question that I get on roadmaps is how do you prioritize when things are apples and oranges? And my tip there is you don't need to choose between apples and oranges. You just need to choose what percentage do you want to focus on apples and what percentage do you want to focus on oranges? And so a lot of times what you can do here is it doesn't have to be too scientific. You can throw out a ratio. You can be like, hey, what if we go 50-50 apples and oranges this time? And people will say, oh, that's, that sounds kind of good, but like, actually, I really think it should be 80-20 apples this year. Or like, no, we don't want to do any oranges at all. So that kind of portfolio balance lets people share their feeling on how things should be allocated. And then within all the apples, you can pick the best apples. 
That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can see that across other domains, right? Thinking about marketing and demand gens brand, you, you obviously have to generate enough demand to fill the sales pipeline, but at the same time, you have a brand need and sales enablement need, and there's a little bit of the balancing the apples and oranges, and then within demand gen, you can optimize on your apples, right? The, yep. the, the apples that are going to work the best based upon the dollars you have there. So yeah, yeah makes a ton of sense and it's very applicable across a, a lot of different domain spaces. One thing that always interests me as a PM and a, as a leader, how do you tell people to strike this balance between observation and asking questions with customers? Yeah, so at Asana, we have a really great user research organization and we've done, we do both kinds of research. I would say that we do pure observation a lot when we're doing very early strategic research. So we'll have times when we go on site with a customer and we just watch what's going on with them all day and follow them around and like see the details of, you know, people who find an excuse to get up from their desk every 10 minutes or, you know, you get to, you get to observe these things that nobody would ever, ever tell you about. And that's when we start to then fit our, our observations into models and then use those models to be actionable later on. But then when we get into, we actually have features and we want feedback on it, we definitely usually start people off with, a lot of times we try to make it as similar as possible as to what the, it'll be when the feature is actually launched. So if a feature is going to be launched with some sort of onboarding or training, we'll try to give them that much, but then sit back and let watch and see what happens. And then after you observe for a while, that's when you can really dig in with questions. Cool. Well, thanks. We, we've covered a lot about product management. You know, today, let's talk a little bit about the future. Do you see any particular trends in the, in the next few years that are going to affect the craft of product management? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, one of the a few surprising trends I've seen, one is that product management is becoming much, much more popular. There are product managers. Many more companies have product managers than used to in the past. Many more people want to become product managers. And so it becomes a more popular field. And related to that, there's a lot more tools for product managers that have been coming out. A lot of companies that are formed around software for product managers. And Isn't that of, great? Yes. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so some of my favorites are around making it easier to get user feedback. So I love various sites where you can submit your app and then have people do, you know, record a video of them using it and get that feedback that way. I think being able to get direct customer feedback earlier is, is a great trend that I've been seeing and being able to balance it with data-driven observations. I think, I think we're probably, I may not be totally sure about this, but we might be nearing a peak of data-drivenness. I think that there's a lot of data and there will still be ways for even more companies to be getting that data in, but really people learning how to balance and rationalize the information they're seeing from those A-B tests from and real customers. Yeah, I, I like that. I think I would say we still have a good way to go on the data. Not as much of data. There's a ton of data out yeah. there, but it's like how to use it, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been talking a lot with customers about how do you model your users, your customers, right? Mm -hmm. And model them in ways that make sense. Like what does a model of a successful trial conversion look like? What mm -hmm. are their characteristics that are different than other you know, unsuccessful trial conversions. Mm -hmm. And then how can you affect that either through product, through guidance, through customer success? Yeah. So I, I feel like there's a ton of data and there's and no product manager should be out there making decisions mm -hmm. on gut instinct anymore. They yeah. or purely on gut instinct. They should have that data. Mm -hmm. But at the same time I feel like we could do a lot better with insights from that data and figuring out how to get those insights. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that there's a lot of room for yeah, drawing insights from data. Cool. So this has been awesome. We've talked a lot today. Before I, I talk more about you as Jackie, the person, how would you summarize your words of wisdom for today for people listening to like three big bullets? Well, so on road mapping, I would say 
and strategy in general is I think just remembering that strategy has these three components. A, having a mission, having a vision, having a plan to get to your vision, which is your roadmap. Um, and really thinking about being able to treat that as a balanced portfolio where you're thinking about what goals and objectives you're guiding towards. For interviewing, uh, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Awesome. Well, on to Jackie. So a little bit about you. Favorite software product and why? So I love lots of software products. I'd say that one of the ones that's my favorite now is the Trusted app. It's an app, you might say it's Uber for babysitters, but unlike Uber, the, uh, the babysitters are employees of the company and fully vetted. And I think about, you know, when I grew up reading Babysitter Club and this book about how hard it is to find a babysitter on the go, and with Trusted, I can just open it up and find a babysitter, you know, three hours in advance, which I'm sure has changed my life. Yeah, I can see that being hugely useful. I know for a lot of my friends that have younger children, that can be tough. And you always want to find ones that you can trust. Mm -hmm. Hence, I'm sure where they came up with the name. Yeah. So final question for you today, three words to describe yourself. Uh, Yeah, so I'm going to describe who I am as a PM. I would say that I'm very collaborative. I love solving tough problems, and I love thinking about strategy. Awesome. That was great. Thanks for joining me today. Appreciate it. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.